ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. My name is Elias Techley once again, and I'm joined by Rian, my other and only co-host, although I'm pretty sure he wanted to remove me about a week ago. But hey, we're still here. We're going at it. Um, what's up, Rian? How you been? I've been all right, man. Um, I spent the weekend um, in the city in Manhattan um, for a friend's, a friend's uh, birthday party, that which was very nice. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was there for a couple of days. And then I came back just in time on Sunday to watch the Eagles game, which was tough. (laughs) I mean, we're not a football as in American football type podcast, but um, both of us as being strong Eagles fans, that was – I think that was probably the worst first half I've seen under Doug Peterson, I think. There were some pretty bad first halves last season. Yeah. Especially since they were like almost last in the league in terms of points scored in the first quarter last season. Oh, yeah. And they have not gotten any better in the first couple games this season. But the, the best thing was um, just everyone got injured. Everyone just kept getting injured. Three three mm-hmm. plays into the game, um, our two starting wide receivers were out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was awesome. It's a context, like imagine in the first 30 minutes of a game, Messi and Suarez go off injured. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. just imagine that. <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah, so well, that was annoying. Well, and then people just kept getting injured during the game. Suarez. It's like yeah, Suarez, it was, yeah, it's Suarez just, and Suarez and like Griezmann, basically. Griezmann. To say that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Messi is, I guess, the equivalent of Carson Wentz for the Eagles. But yeah. Um, yeah, so that happened. That was terrible. And I went to bed. But they, did, but they played so much better in the second half. I mean, they, they almost came back and won that game. So the fact that they were overall, still in that game, like in the yeah. second half, was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it was it was unreal. So you know, I'm not not going to get too down about it. Still, like 14 weeks of the season left. So yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried. Um, but we'll see how these injuries play out. But in the meantime, we got a lot to get to this week. We have. Well, we had a big, big weekend of ridiculous results in the Premier League and La Liga this past weekend. And Champions League starts off tomorrow and also continues on Wednesday. So let's get right into it and start off in England. Um, this is not – I don't think this is just the Premier League match of the weekend. I think this is just the European match of the weekend. Um, and I'm going to probably speak for the both of us when I say this. Um, what? It's the, what? <laughs> what did? I, what? Like what? I mean, it's the shock of the weekend. Norwich home to Manchester City with uh, I believe seven players injured. Um, at least two. There, three of them were start were starting players for them, right? And another one, another player they couldn't play because he's on loan from Manchester City. So they came into the game as is, like literally before the game starts, all the announcers uh, and for uh, the U.S. and NBC were saying, you know, yeah, if Norwich are able to get a result from this, it would be one of the biggest upsets in the Premier League era. <laughs> like people were already going through, like that's how that's how little chance people were giving Norwich, which was fair. But um, I mean, uh, that was just unbelievable. They played so well and. You know, this will take me to our first question here. So, 
should we be giving more credit to Norwich or does that game lie down more to City's errors? Are, are, they, are we more blaming Manchester City or giving credit to Norwich in this game? Um, I, I would say... I'll say I'll say I definitely think I, I think that des- that North deserves a lot of credit for that because I I agree I agree like because- I, I, okay I I do think that Norwich deserve a lot of credit for scoring three goals like that that can't be underestimated to score three goals as Norwich alone is already hard but to score it against Manchester City is a totally different thing as well so in in that sense I think they absolutely deserve credit here's Here's where I, I I don't know I'm a little I'm a little torn right Manchester City it's they they didn't ever look like winning this game right they never they never looked like at some point we're gonna get two more goals or even to go back into the first half they didn't look like okay at some point we're not going to concede three goals. They didn't look like the Manchester City that we're so used to seeing and we're accustomed to seeing. I honestly felt like Norwich. Norwich, excuse me, had generally better opportunities to score and probably better opportunities in general. Yeah, so so I, I'm going to hit back a little bit. I so I think outside of just being able to score three goals, I'm giving them a lot of credit because they didn't come into this game and compromise their playing style, which is something that's so easy to do when you're a team that you know, just got promoted and you're playing the champions right. from last from last season. Right. But they showed even from their first game against Liverpool, they weren't compromising in, in compromising their playing style whatsoever. You know, granted that game, they ended up losing four one, but they still were pretty bright for a lot of that game. And then the same thing against Chelsea, they, they did not sit back and try to hit on counters or anything at all. And they um, just barely lost that game. You know, the, all season they, they haven't, they haven't looked like a, like a Sam Allardyce type of team where they're gonna, where, you know, <laughs> they play some, they play a really good team. And they're just gonna put two banks of four. Or there's gonna be nine men behind the ball or whatever. They really get a lot of credit for playing their style because that's the reason why they ended up scoring these three goals. But also, I have to give them a lot of credit for not allowing City to play their one twos around the eighteen, which we see them do a lot. You know. Um, like my stat of the game for this, right, is Manchester City playing 46 crosses on Saturday, right? Their average last season was 20 crosses a game. And before Saturday, they hadn't played more than 10 crosses in a game outside of their home, that uh, home draw to Tottenham, right? So the fact that they were able to keep them more out in the wings and, you know, as I always say, like crosses are are great to an extent, but they're a very inefficient way of uh, getting assists. So... They kept a lot of things on the outside, um, which is a less dangerous area for City because they always love to get in those channels. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think there was an element of neutralizing, especially the wing play of Manchester City, right? We talked about, or you kind of talked about like the interlinking between, um, you know, the short play, short passes, things like that. But I also want to highlight the fact that Raheem Sterling and generally, I would say Kyle Walker as well as sort of bunching this too. They they both didn't really have a huge effect on the game. And I think that Norwich honestly played very, very well into that, that sort of style. And they were very wide across pretty much like a midfield slash back five. 
but they were able to keep up with and just run and run and run up and down um, against the the opposing wingers. And I thought that was that part of it was really impressive as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, they made it really. They did not make it easy for them. And you're right. You're totally right on the whole. Um, you know, you thought once. Sergio Aguero scored the thought, especially right before halftime thought was okay. Out of halftime, they're going to come back and blitz them and, and maybe and score a goal or two early in the second half. But you're right. They never, they never really looked like they were, you know, cause they always look like they can turn to another gear. Right. And they never looked like they got into fifth gear that, you know, they never, they never natch rock, um, racked it up a notch and that like to like a nine or a 10. They're always, they seem like they were, Play like a six or a seven in that game when yeah. because of how well Norwich were playing, they needed to get up. They needed to take themselves to like a nine or ten to to come back to come back from it. Right, right. So no, I, I fully agree, and I think I think it is worrying. Just, I mean, mm. the result itself is worrying for City that we can't underestimate that. What I think is more concerning is the way that they weren't able to break down Norwich and sort of have that hand on your head type moment of oh my god how did we not score it was more like oh my god how are we playing this way and i think that part of things is something to be concerned about especially now that they're five points behind liverpool and i think that is a huge gap kind of like when barcelona and atletico had that five point gap last weekend i was really concerned i'm just as concerned for for city and liverpool here in this in this situation no that's very true how much of the concern are you do you put on the fact that there's no Laporte because, you know, if you wanted to be very, if you wanted to be, um, take a little bit away from Norwich, the, you could argue that the three goals came from individual errors between some, between people in the back line in general, but definitely, um, between Laporte or not, sorry, not Laporte between, uh, Stones and Otamendi, especially what well, we know the third goal really was on Otamendi, but. Um, how concerned well, should we I mean, be about them, about just Laporte's absence? Yeah, I think Laporte is obviously a very, very important player for them. Mendy, I don't even know what to think of him anymore. Between his games for Argentina and, and whatever is left of his corpse at City, I, I'm not impressed with him. I think he is seriously on the decline. Um, and so I think with Laporte being their strongest center back, yeah, you lose a lot. Like, you know, imagine, well, look at it this way, Chelsea losing Rudiger and Barcelona, for example, if they lost, lost PK for an extended period of time, like it, it would be the same thing. You would absolutely suffer in terms of a leadership and B structure. And so I think that city are seeing that right now. And while I know Pep said this recently that they'll be just fine, um, without him, um, Maybe this was a bit of a wake-up call. I don't know. I, I do think that organizationally and tactically they could be fine, but in terms of individual errors, kind of like we saw, it, it makes a big difference. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, but yeah, the you know, early five-point gap is it's not <laughs> at all how you thought this season might start. But um, you know, we saw last season that City were, what, seven points back of Liverpool um, in January. My my big concern is that by time Laporte comes back, they if they're in that same position, I think it's going to be a lot harder for them to win fourteen straight games to win the league again. So, right, right, exactly. Yeah. And I don't think they want to be in that situation um, come you know Christmas or after the New Year anyway. So let's right. hope that they can avoid that. Um, yeah. But 
moving on to another weird weekend game. I, I really – like I said, like I don't know what happened this weekend. Like <laughs> Arsenal-Watford. Um, Arsenal, honestly, I thought had a great first half. Like, I mean, they did have a great first half, but I thought they yeah. had like – in a, a particularly good half in terms of their their passage of play i thought their their movement off the ball and on the ball was excellent i thought that second goal abamyang's second goal i thought was especially pristine i think uh Naylin miles however you say his name um i thought he played a great ball in slide slide roll pass um yeah. and then the ball was played across and i thought that's kind of what Emery started wants to start playing at Arsenal because he has a little bit more quality now with Ceballos and, and Ganduzi is obviously progressing. Um, and then, well, they went and decided to purchase David Luiz. So that's all I'm going to say on, uh, on this game. And uh, that's the T. I, I mean, I, I don't want to get too reactionary. You know, because it's one game, and also it's we're still just five games into the season. But that second half was absolutely so painful to watch from an Arsenal standpoint. Like you said, the first half was very solid. Um, I thought I thought Watford looked okay. The the first right up until Arsenal scored, basically, I thought Watford were looking pretty decent. And you know that that goal, the first goal, is individual brilliance from from uh, Aubameyang the spin and the and the finish and then obviously the second goal is is a great team goal there Ozil playing a real big, big big part in that so it makes the second half even more unacceptable I mean <laughs> I, I, I'm not an Arsenal fan but I don't like watching good teams look lost <laughs> like right yep. that, that's just it was so hard to watch. Jaka came out after the match and said that they were scared in the second half, that no one wanted the ball. There's no reason that a team of Arsenal stature and talent should look terrified in this in a forty five in a forty five minute span against Watford, a team that's sitting twentieth in the league. It's unacceptable. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree, and I don't think by their standards that they would they would say it's acceptable. Um but I, I I thought that there was some sort of mentality shift, you know, with this team. And, and part of me still does, um, you know, kind of believe that. Um, but they're not they're not proving it with this game. I, I am hopeful in the sense that I think this is a one off or some sort of one off, because up until now, we've seen a different style in terms of their aggressiveness, quite frankly. And so. I just I hope that they don't fall back into a trap of feeling like oh you know we're the arsenal of, of years past in that sense where they concede like this and give up points, um, but this, it's it's not a good step forward. Um, I don't think they're necessarily going backwards, but I think I don't think it's you know it's obviously a step forward. So so listen listen to this stat. The passes allowed per defensive action, which I talked about it in episodes before, just basically um, how many passes you allow your opponent to have before you make an interception or um, a clearance or something like that, or uh, a tackle or something, something like that as well. Watford allowed Arsenal just nine passes before any sort of um, interception, any sort of defensive action. Arsenal allowed 21 
<laughs> 21 per defensive action against Watford. <laughs> I mean, they were outshot. They were outshot 31 to 7. They put Arsenal put on target four shots while Watford put on target 10. And they expected goals put Watford at 2.83 and Arsenal at 1.01. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you seen a team get seen a team in the top six get dominated so thoroughly and in in just and that's basically all from one half pretty for the most part a lot of those numbers are from just 45 minutes <laughs> like a lot of the mm-hmm. Watford positive stuff came in 45 minutes right and I don't right. know the last time we've seen a one of the one of the teams from the top six get so thoroughly dominated by a, a team um by a team that wasn't also in the top six pretty much right um right. and I don't know how much criticism to give whether it's Emery or the players but just from my end we knew we know the talent the back line is subpar we know like we said before you get what you pay for with those positions right but absolutely I don't know how you can defend what is happening in the midfield on Emery's from from Emery's side from the tactical side uh, I'm gonna give a slight pass to Jaka today because I didn't think he was he wasn't their worst player by far I'm Did I seriously just hear you right? I, Did I, I really I, hear that? I'm still perplexed. A, <laughs> a slight pass. A slight pass. I'm not going to blame it on him today. <laughs> but he, should, he shouldn't be starting, but I'm not going to blame it on him because he wasn't their worst player. Emery okay, fair. to take a lot of responsibility for their horrible midfield organization and ability to shield a back line that you know has a lot of deficiencies. He's putting in a fairly defensive midfield, and they're actually not they're not doing anything to actually help their, their, their back four. They're allowing the most shots per game in the league. Think about that. They're allow- Arsenal Football Club are allowing the most shots per game in the Premier League. That's, again, <laughs> unacceptable. Yeah, they're not a great team at the back, and I don't think that comes as a surprise to anyone. But... Uh, that's, you know, as a, a wise man once said, not my problem. <laughs> and no, of course, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use that as a justification moving forward. But legitimately, this is something to be concerned about. And I and I hear what you're saying. Um, but the only way that they shore up the defense, I think, in, in for them going forward, is by scoring goals. We said at the beginning of the year. We said it a couple of weeks ago as well. If they outscore their opponents, they're going to win the game and get three points. And I think that's their best course of action at this point. No, yeah, we know, we know that like like we know that the more the more goals scored, but the more goals scored in general in a game, they're going to have a better chance of winning because they have more talent. But um, I don't know. I it's just as much as you can just harp on the horrible play of their back line there. The balance in midfield is hor- is even worse, honestly, because goals, I guess, goals are always going to fall more on the back line. But when you think about just shots, you only take a shot if you think you're in a lot of, if you're in a lot of space or, you know, in the penalty box, something like that. Right. And that really only comes from the fact that their midfield is either not closing down enough on people or they're allowing people to get in behind them and, and putting a lot of pressure on their back line. They're doing no favors to that back four at all right now. Right. 
Right. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that's, like I said, moving forward, I think the only way that they're going to, to go ahead, especially and pick up points against the, the other big teams in, in England. Um, so I think they have a lot of work to do on the back line and protecting it. Um, and I think that their midfield is key in that as well. Um, both in Xhaka not being an absolute idiot and Gendouzi and Ceballos being able to track back. I think at some point I saw Ceballos sliding in for tackles to, to protect the back four and, um, and balls going out for a corner. And so I think, like I said, he's my signing of the summer in England. So I really think that that's their, their key man moving forward. I think he starts all the big games uh, for that matter. Um, but I, I just don't know what to expect out of Arsenal going forward. It's just, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. one of those things where it's up in the air and it could very well be like a four, one win one game, you know, it, take their performance against Tottenham and and put that up against pretty much almost any other team in England and they get a win. Um, but I don't know. Then you, they go ahead and do something like this. So it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Quick, quick question. Quick question. Quick answer. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you blaming who's more to blame? I, I know we were talking about blame a lot here, but who, who, who deserves more criticism for at least the start to the season, Emery or the players? For the start to the season, I, I would say Emery, right? He's the manager. He's responsible at the end of the day for instilling both a motivation and a tactical setup that benefits and gets the best out of all of his players. For this specific game, I blame the players individually because I think that without those mistakes, they go ahead and win this game relatively comfortably because for some reason after halftime, things switch for them and I don't know why. Um so I think that it comes down to the players, and they should absolutely have stepped up to the plate there. That's fair. That's my quick answer, yeah. at least. No, that's fair <laughs> enough. Well, good luck to Arsenal moving forward. They got a lot of work on the back line to do, but a couple other teams that, while they may not have some work to do off this, the back of this past weekend, can certainly always get better. Um, but Chelsea, United, and Spurs all picking up wins and three points pretty comfortably, I'd say. Um I I thought Chelsea played fantastically. Obviously, you saw it in in Tammy Abraham doing really really well and, and picking up a hat trick. Mason Mount also looked great, even though he did miss that sitter. Um, I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on these three teams in general? Uh, well, just with starting with, with uh, Chelsea and Tottenham, you know, like we said, wonderful performances from especially the youth of Chelsea who. Um, have had all of their goals this season so far have been scored by people 21 and under. And so that's leaves you, that's, uh, Mount Abraham and Tamori are the, are the only people that have scored <laughs> so far. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool to at least have those, uh, youth players, um, showing that they have enough quality to play in the premier league. But I have to say that this must've been a nice change of pace for, as for me and other Chelsea fans, for sure, and also Tottenham fans with how simple these wins were. <laughs> the, the, the games were pretty much done by the 40th minute. Each each team were up <laughs> either 3 or 4 nil. So um, it was really it's really important for both of those teams, especially as they begin their Champions League campaigns, um, and especially for Chelsea because this is a, you know, you have the big Champions League game on to, um, tomorrow with 
on Tuesday with uh, Valencia, but then they also host Liverpool at the end of the week. So um, really important for them to start off with a win, but not, not just a win, but a comfortable win that, you know, for young players, confidence is really is probably more important than, than for uh, more experienced players. Uh, so it's good for them. And then Tottenham, finally a little bit of stability, you know, Pochettino kept saying to wait until after the international break. You know, he starts for Tonga in this game. It's a a more normal starting 11. Um, and they looked great. They looked great. They looked like they did last season. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things is that, uh, that they wanted to, to bring into this season that they haven't really found their footing with yet is just being comfortable in a game and not feeling like at any point the lead could get away from them or the game could get away from them. And I think they did a great job. I, I mean, I watched the, the well, really just the first half because after that it kind of was pointless. But um, after watching that first half, every almost every chance that they got, one, they were making chances. But after each chance, they, they were pretty much putting it on target and in most cases putting it in the back of the net. So I was impressed with their performance actually. But, excuse me, I will say that there's going to be a a difference between the teams that they're going to face this week, or I guess the team that they're going to face this week, and the team that they faced this past weekend. So I'm very interested to see especially what Spurs' starting lineup um, looks like, uh, I guess, Come on, do they play? Away, I'm trying to they're think. Away to Olympiacos. Um, I, I yeah, believe, is it Wednesday? I or? believe Wednesday. Yeah, it is Wednesday. Yes. So they are away to Olympiacos, and I I'm very curious to see how that game plays out because we kind of talked about in the Champions League preview that Olympiacos isn't exactly an easy place to go as well. Um, so they are carrying confidence into this next game, but we'll see how it continues and if they can stay consistent with it. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's like I said, a big a big week for both of these teams, um, and we'll see how they handle it. Um, going on to the United, and they keep doing just enough offensively to win games. <laughs> um, another penalty, another penalty, another penalty this week. They've had a penalty in all but one of their games so far. So this is you this know, is great. I pretty much drafted Rashford in our fantasy Premier League draft last night solely because I know they get a lot of penalties and he can score them. So at least that's like almost a goal every other game. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, although, <laughs> although, although, you know, I, that first part, I was a little harsh on them, you know, doing just enough offensively, which is true. But I think we really should praise them for their defense so far this season. They have allowed the fewest goals so far. They're tied. They're tied with, um, who is it? They have four four goals allowed. They're tied with Liverpool and and uh, Leicester with least goals allowed. But even more impressive, they're leading the league in terms of expected goals allowed. So um, again, oh wow, yeah, they're leading the league in expected goals allowed. Again, uh, um, Maguire's come in and just solidified everything there. His, he's really been a leader in the back line there, especially for guys like Lindelof, who seemed to just you know he was in the same position. I would say as maybe Stones is right now, say last season when he was playing with either Smalling or Phil Jones or Bailly, yeah. where like he's someone that obviously needs 
not necessarily someone to hold his hand because I don't want to. That's because I don't want to like embarrass him like that. But but like he needed someone to be to um, be in the back line with him. That's gonna do a, the organization pretty much. Like right, um, right. He's, he's so Lindelof has has the skills. He has the um, the body frame. Everything athleticism as well to be a good center back, but he's just not someone who's going to lead your back line self, and that's where Maguire comes in because he has all those traits and he can lead your back line, and that's what he's done so far for United, and he's made them tough to score against, um, and that's that's uh, just about all they could ask for, especially with how bad their defense looked last season. They went and they addressed it, and I wonder if City. If City slightly regrets not trying to go after, not tr- um, paying up the money that uh, Lester wanted for Maguire. Well, I think hindsight is twenty twenty. So, I, 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 yeah, you can absolutely say that they may, they may regret it right now. But I think the biggest thing for United is their their defensive solidity recently. And I agree with you. I think it looks a lot better, and Harry Maguire is a big reason for that. Like you said, that pairing seems to be working out because I think Lindelof needed someone to. to kind of give him, a, give him a nudge, you know what I mean? And be like, oh, you need to, you know, actually step up right. in every game. Um, and I think that that Maguire has provided that, and I think he's provided it very well for this team. Um, I do think that United still have a huge creativity problem in midfield. I don't think that goes away. But what's that very famous saying? Defense wins you championships. Not like... United are going to win anything anytime soon, but they do they do win you games at the very least, and that's that's crucial for them right now, especially because their their goal pretty much at this point is well, hey, I'm sure winning the Europa League could be one of their goals, but remaining in the top six um, is probably a better goal for them right now. So I do think it was uh, it was important for them, and uh, they got I guess an important win based on what was well, I mean necessary slash a, a win that should happen is what i'm trying to say yeah exactly exactly they, they it was it was a fairly comfortable game for them really um even though it was only one nil uh lester did not really threaten very much um and vardy's had an interesting start to the season he has three goals but he's averaging one shot per game which is not good enough for your starting uh, striker. Well, it's clinical, I guess. I suppose, but if he's only getting <laughs> he's getting only one shot per game, I mean, that's that's tough. That's not going to be good enough for them to try to try to break into the top six. That's not going to be good enough from them. So, um, right. With that, have to also give um, a shout out to Liverpool as they easily got three points again this week. They're looking at, again another week, another tick on for another three points. Um, highlight assists from. Firmino on uh, the third goal on Salah's goal where he gets it at the around like the D of the 18 um, gets it with his right foot flicks it with his left and it's just perfectly weighted for Salah who comes in and scores so you know they're they're looking very strong they start the season strong once again they started strong last season um, and you know they're they're gonna be they're gonna be a lot to handle I, they're gonna be a lot to handle in Europe again that's for sure yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I don't really have much on Liverpool other than straightforward three points. And I think the fact that we are we can sit here and say that about them kind of just shows how far they've come in the last four to five years. And that in and of itself is impressive. It's almost like the, you know, era of 
I, I don't want to. I don't want to extrapolate like this, but it reminds me of when Barcelona during the the huge league campaigns of around 2011 and you know that sort of reign. We were just like, oh, of course Barcelona won, regardless of who the opponent was, you know. Um, and and that was commonplace for them, and that's sort of where they're at as a team. And and I am very happy for them, uh, irrespective of what they did to Barcelona last season. But I I, I think it's extremely impressive. Yep. Yeah, we're not we're not having any problems with their backline. We're not talking about it. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's that's probably that's the biggest thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Well. With that, we're going to wrap up the Premier League recap. After the break, we'll be back with a little bit of La Liga, a very also weird weekend in La Liga. Um, before we wrap up with a little bit of Champions League news and Rian pretty much ranting about the U.S. men's national team. All right, we are back with a little bit of La Liga. We're talking some Spanish football here. And... Um, Kind of said at the beginning or right before the break, it was it was another weird weekend in in La Liga. Not as weird as maybe the Premier League, but let's let's just start off with Atletico um, losing two zero to Real Sociedad. Who, granted, I I do rate. I think Real Sociedad are a good team. So this was their first game at their new stadium, the new Anoeta. And if you look at the new stadium versus the old stadium, especially on the interior, the I guess the supporters area, the area where people sit, um, it's like, it's something like 30 meters closer to the pitch. Because if you look at the old stadium, it was so far away from the pitch and you almost felt detached from the experience. Now it's much, much closer. And they, I mean, Real Sociedad away is really not a place that I want to go ever. Uh, Barcelona have a terrible record there in the last like 10 years or so. Um, And so I'm not entirely surprised that Atletico drop points. Um, but I am surprised that they did it in the manner, uh, that they, that they played. Um, I, I wasn't impressed with, with how they played. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, this, this is, this is not a great look for me. Number one, Atletico Madrid fan for this season. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, a tuna loss. That's, that's tough, especially because Barcelona looked pretty good. (laughs) It's, it looks even worse. (laughs) It's an even worse look. Um, and you know they go into this week. Um, they're not playing Juventus this this week in, in the Champions League, are they? I don't believe so. I can double check. And you know what? I'm just going to do it right now. But I'm pretty no, sure they, they do. play. They host. They host Juventus. Oh my god! Yeah. They are playing Juve on Wednesday. Yeah. Yep. Oh my god. Oh yeah. So that's a great, great preview for that game. That's that's not a great start to a tough week, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, no, I I apologize to all of our our listeners. Uh, we are having very slow and tired days, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it's a deserved loss from them. Um, expected goals had Sociedad at two point oh nine and Real Madrid, or sorry, Atletico Madrid at one point oh seven. So they were pretty dominant in terms of um, in terms of chances created, and yeah. we got to see. Um, talk a little bit about about someone that I think a lot of soccer fans have probably forgot about, uh, Martin Odegaard, who was. who was basically being treated like a five-star college basketball recruit three years three or four (laughs) years ago by every big european club (laughs) yeah wow that's so true i mean he had he had a great game not i mean not only did he score a goal right but this entire beginning of the season 
I guess to put into context, Odegaard, when he came to Real Madrid as that UT product that we all know, he was 16. And so he's 20 now. It's been four years. And he's it, – it's not like he's been poor. Like even during his loan spells or anything like that, I think people have just genuinely forgot about him. Like they've just forgot about him as a, as a football player because they haven't had – I guess, read, ready access to him, uh, I guess, to watch him play. I mean, I've seen clips of him here and there the last couple of years, and he's done really, really well. But this season, he's really just exploded. And I think one of the key decisions that he's made for his career in the last couple of seasons is choosing to stay away from Real Madrid. Because he, I mean, he even said it himself, I guess, I think it was today or yesterday, something like that, that playing or choosing to play at Real Madrid right now would have been a bad decision for his career because he wouldn't have gotten playing time right there's a lot of creative talent there although you know they are injury riddled right now martin odegaard is an incredible player and he needs to play to develop and so i'm i'm glad that he chose that um to play a real sociedad and he's he's killing it right now yeah yeah especially at this um age you know where the development we're playing a lot is super important to development in that like 18 to 21 range especially so it is great for mm-hmm. him um, and tough for for Atletico, who, you know, I, this this is the first time that we're seeing, for, at least for this season. Well, actually, we'd have to say right before the international break, too, they weren't looking fantastic defensively. So and and all, and all they have coming at them in a few days is Ronaldo and DiBala and Douglas Costa <laughs> to to deal with. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right before the break, we we kind of saw them. They they squeaked out a win against you know Leganes uh, towards you know the end of August, things like that. It was very very standard Atletico, um, and I think I don't know. I, I want to see your thoughts on this, but we know that their squad got weaker, right? Where they sold off and let go, had to let go of a lot of their core players compared to to last season, right? They're they're objectively they're not as strong of a team on paper and the first couple games of the season for them were relatively straightforward on paper so i don't know if this is true but do you think that the hype was a little bit too much well i i think you have to say after after those first few games where you're right, they did they ground they were pretty grind out wins. They were for the most part they were grind out wins. Um, so it felt like normal Atleti, right? So it didn't feel like anything had changed that much. But um, you make a good point on the amount of turnover they had. Something like what eleven players in and out or something like that over the over the summer. And you know generally I don't love a lot of turnover. That's that always makes things very hard at the beginning of the season. But the start was the reason why I was very encouraged because I would have expected them to not start the season as well as they had. Um, and for it to take a couple months to really uh, gel together. And that's still probably what's going to happen. But, you know, when they come up against a, a team with a bit more ta- with more talent than who they've been playing the for the first few weeks, um, it's where you need the cohesiveness of the team. You need people to have played with each other for um, for like at least five or six months, at least five or six months um, in competitive games and stuff and, and know where they need to be. You need the guys up front to have a good enough, a good understanding of where they like to make runs, when they like to make runs and, and whatnot. So, you know, I, I think, 
I think this is just part of the growing, I don't want to say growing pains because, you know, they're still going to pick up a lot of points, but this is just a part of their growing um, adjustment period, I think. Yeah, that's that's kind of a good way to put it, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that as time goes on, they'll become more comfortable and, and sort of get a, a feel for each other um, on the field and even off the field to a degree as well. So I, I'm not like too worried about them. Um, they were always bound to drop points. Every team does, but it do, it does say something when the teams that they play at the beginning obviously were not that high in terms of difficulty. Um, but the second that they go away to a team like Real Sociedad, who are a tough team to play at their stadium, um, that they drop points in, especially the manner that they did. So I'm very interested to see how the Juve game midweek plays out for them. Um, but they have a lot of work going forward, just like every other team, practically. Yeah, exactly so, right. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the other Madrid-based team. Uh, they played Levante this weekend, squeaked out a 3-2 win from what I think was probably the weirdest game in Spain. Um, this was a tale of two halves, right? This game from the start, from minute one to the 45th minute plus injury time was all Madrid. I think they pressed high. They played very, very well in terms of, you know, getting the ball forward, getting it into Benzema, who also had a great game, just pure class again. But I think, Levante also kind of shot themselves in the foot. They they didn't play out of the back very well. They didn't really get forward. They kind of suffocated themselves in a sense, and they gave the ball up a lot. And so that pretty much allowed what is relatively injury-riddled Real Madrid side right now to, to pounce on top of that. And even with their injuries, they still have the quality to put away those chances um, and, the cha- and create chances as well. Um, so... They were up, they went up into, or excuse me, they went into halftime uh, against Levante uh, in the lead, right? They they were leading, I believe it was 3-0 yeah, at that yeah, three point. Goals, yeah, three goals, three goals in the first half. First 40 minutes, Exactly, really. two by, yeah, two by Benzema and one from Casemiro, I believe. Um, and then, then, well, Madrid pulled to Madrid, quite frankly. Um, second half, second half was different. Right. It, it it kind of unraveled for them. And I, I know a lot of their cracks, like we talked about from last season, are showing. But, man, the second half was just quintessential Madrid. They they just lost it. Like, they lost their ability to press. And Levante, after getting a quick goal after the start of the second half, they just pushed and pushed and pushed. And Ramos came off. Casemiro came off. They started losing their structure. Um, and my favorite point of this entire game was when Tony Kroos was moved into that pivot role where Casemiro usually is. And Lucas Vasquez started playing, uh, like, I guess, in, in Spanish they call it in, interior. Um, like, like, kind of like a number eight slash six role. Um, it's kind of a hybrid. And um, both of those positions are just not their natural position. So, it, it, it was just like, like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? It went so well in the beginning. Why ruin what was going well? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, uh, how did you think uh, Hazard looked in his first appearance for Madrid? He, he came in at, what, 62nd minute um, when it was 3-1, and it didn't seem to create very much afterwards. So, Yeah, yeah. Hazard came in. I think 
Honestly, I don't think that this is a game to judge Hazard on um, because I think this is one of those games that was pretty much just used to regain fitness. I know based on the timing of where they were um, score-wise, it, it might have looked like he was there to, um, to to not necessarily save the day but provide a little bit more of a mental stability and, and comfort and, and put this game out of reach if possible. But the reason I say that I don't – I think this is just sort of a, a fitness run out for him was because because of the fact that I don't expect him to play against PSG midweek as well. And I don't think Zidane does, and I don't think many people do. So, yeah, I, I, I think he has a incredible Madrid future ahead of him, but I don't think this is necessarily the game to, to really judge him on, you know. That's fair. That's fair enough. So, yeah, they, I mean, that would be interesting. So, I know you have some injury reports for uh, their game that's upcoming against PSG. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I just want to go through this at a high level briefly. So we'll start with the, the Real Madrid absences, uh, for their game against BSG midweek, briefly go through them. Um, Modric, Isco, Marcelo, Hazard, and Sergio Ramos, who isn't injured, but will not be playing. Um, that's five potential starters, like easily could be starters. Isco, eh, we'll see, but five of those players, out of a Real Madrid 11 that already are suffering from structural problems in, in midfield with an aging defense. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. And, um, I think that their starting lineup is going to be, it's going to be funny to compare it from prior years when they won the champions league, because what I expect their starting lineup to be is Courtois goal, um, up against Navas, which will be great to watch. Um, Carvajal, Varan, Eder Militao, who is one of their new signings, Mendy, another new signing who's been pretty much injured up until this point recently, Casemiro, James, Cruz, Lucas Vasquez. <laughs> I, I can't I can't get past this front line. I'm sorry. Vasquez, Vinicius Jr., and Benzema. I, I, they used to have Benzema, Bale, and Ronaldo. Right up front, they the used BBC, to say the you, BBC. Yeah, yeah, they used to the have BBC, the BBC, right? and Exa- I mean, they used right, to dominate well, with the BBC, dude. Do I need to? They, all right, so we're gonna mark this podcast as not safe teams, for work by the end of the destroy day. Destroy teams with their BBC. Oh. Bale, Benzema, and Cristiano, obviously. Right. <laughs> anyway. I'm gonna. I'm. Just, I'm gonna pretend I never heard that. Jeez. For any kids listening, we are of course talking about Bale, Benzema, and uh, Cristiano. Um, exactly. Exactly. No, say it louder for the people in the back. Um, but yeah, of course. So yeah, I just wanted to highlight that, and then briefly on the PSG side, Neymar won't be playing due to suspension. Mbappe and Cavani are both still injured, and Julian Draxler as well is out for this game. So PSG's front line. Well, it's not as bad um, in terms of um, quality to, to, I guess, Real Madrid's in this case, in my humble opinion. Di Maria, Mauro Icardi, and I guess Chupa Moteng, like that would probably be their, their starting lineup. Um, it's not bad. It's just compared to what it could be. And I guess those three players not necessarily even starting uh, when Neymar and Mbappe and Cavani are all fully fit and available. Um, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be the best game, but obviously two powerhouses and 
you know, PSG being a fake powerhouse, they're still a powerhouse. Um, coming up on, I I think this one's on Tuesday, right? Uh, this one's on Tuesday, correct? On Tuesday, right? So there you go. I just wanted to highlight that. So Real Madrid are in for a treat this uh, this upcoming week, um, but they they do need to play a full game, right? They can't just play one half and trail off. And the one thing I do want to highlight before we move on to uh, to the Barcelona game. Zidane after the game said in roughly not too many words I didn't have many options on the bench after you know pretty much making those subs that he did and taking Casemiro off and things like that which just makes me feel for James because James is such a quality player and when he played he looked he, he looked good I think he made a lot of strong tackles I think he was active and running around and he ran and ran so I think that's great but I don't know. I feel, I feel bad for the guy. Like he, I think he's very underrated by Madrid right now. And I think he'd start in almost any other team in Europe. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. He's a very interesting case, you know, obviously burst onto the scene with how amazingly he played at the uh, 2014 world cup when he was um, one of the golden boot in that. And then immediately went to um, immediately went to Real Madrid after that. And it, it, his career hasn't, take it off as you as much as you would have expected it after that world cup um although he's won a couple of champions league titles yeah. so you, you can't he hasn't been a failure but you know he's never he hasn't he hasn't had multiple consecutive seasons where he was this starting locking down a starting place every week so it's, it is a little disappointing to be honest for sure, for sure. Uh, like I said, I think I do think he starts this upcoming week at PSG. Um, so best of luck to him there. But yeah. you know who didn't need any luck this weekend? Do you know? Do you do? You, do you know? Oh yeah, yeah, man. You guys. <laughs> oh, I thought Valencia. Was, I guess this is a dope win, right? Because Valencia is like one of the best teams in Europe. All right, all right. First off, they ju- Marcelino just got fired. Okay, I I feel bad for Valencia right now. I do want to point that out. But hey, no, man, you beat one of the, the best name. teams in Europe. They're better than Inter Milan, right? Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> I'm I'm so on this Ansu Fati train. But before I even go on my whole thing about him, I do want to point out I hope that he does not turn out like a Bojan or a Christian Teo or someone like that. Mm. Because this kid Thank he, you for reminding me it. about that. You know, I will I will be I will, <sighs> thank you actually. You know, I was thinking like, <laughs> damn, he's really good, dude. I, he's gonna turn out be amazing. But then you reminded me of those guys and uh, and now I've I've got ammunition. I'll I'll be ready in like a year to uh, call him the next uh, Christian Teo. <laughs> oh my god! All right, first off, he's sixteen, so he has a lot of time to develop. But I think the the most crucial part is he's doing this at the first team level, right? Bojan and Christian Teo did it very very well at the B team level, but they didn't do it as well as he's doing it at least in this small sample size at the first team level. He's very he's basically what Dembele should be right now. You know, he's putting in those performances and, and providing the value to this team that Dembele should be instead of De, instead, you know, Dembele is currently, I guess, rotting his left and right hamstring at the same time. I don't really know what he's doing, but I, I'm just so genuinely impressed by him. And I and I really, really hope that he continues to progress and is one for the future um, in the next couple of years, because 
he's he's playing for the U seventeens. He's not even playing for Barca B. So he he you know moving forward, I do like I said, I hope he has a has an incredible future. Um, I'm I'm very hopeful for him moving forward, and and honestly gives me hope for for the Barcelona youth. Um, but I guess that's that's my Ansu Fati rant. Um, hell, he might even start against Dortmund midweek. I don't think he will, but he he will probably get some minutes. But in terms of this game, the Valencia game, Barcelona putting five past Valencia, um, I want to highlight two things. One, this midfield needs to start midweek. I don't care that Arturo Vidal is a player that will run up and down, back and forth for what feels like an eternity. But this midfield gels so well in terms of quality and fluidity. They're able to not only progress the ball forward through De Jong actually playing in his natural position this past weekend, and we saw him get pretty much his best game in a Barcelona shirt so far. Um, He played to the right of Busquets in a more advanced role instead of left winger, right? Um, And I think Artur provides that sort of Ah, I, there's a word for it in Spanish as well, and I, I, I don't know how well it translated to English. Um, but I, I think that he provides the creativity, while Diong provides the energy moving forward, and, I, and Busquets as well. Whatever. Don't say the word. Yeah, What's the he, word? So we're trying to culture us, culture <sighs> us, culture the listeners here, Elise. What the word in Spanish? Yeah. Mm, for Artur, I think he's. Oh man, I. I don't even know how to pronounce it. You know what? I'll, I'll get, I'll hopefully by the end of the podcast, I'll get it. You know, at the next break, I'll get it. But I do think that this midfield is the, the midfield three moving forward. And I, and I think that is without a doubt should be what happens. I do think that Carlos Elena, who was not even on the bench for this game and hasn't been on the bench for the last two games needs to be back in the squad. I don't know why he's been relegated to that. I guess not even bench position. Um, so that, that part worries me a little bit, but I'm very happy with this midfield. Downside that I want to talk about was defensive structure. Um, giving up two goals, it, and it's not like Valencia were playing out of their mind and, and they deserve those two goals, right? It's it's It was just more one-off chances that they were able to put away because we made silly, silly mistakes, right? I think our back two and PK and Lungley got caught out. I don't think Lungley had a great game. Um, PK was average in my opinion, although he did score. Um, I, 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 I'm a little bit more worried about that, especially going into a place like Germany and play Dortmund, um, and facing, you know, someone like Paco Alcazar, um, who's obviously, you know, we, we talked about his goal scoring record. Um, but anyway, I've been on a rant. Those are my two points from, from the Barcelona game this, this past weekend. No, no, that's definitely great stuff, especially going into, like a, what I believe is the hardest away away match in, uh, in the Champions League, going to Dortmund. That, that'll obviously be lift a lot of spirits, and especially with possibility of the big man coming back for that game. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as much as I like to joke, I guess, a little bit about Fati possibly becoming Teo. Um, <laughs> you do have to give him a lot of credit. 16 <laughs> years old, come on, score a goal and, and give an assist in this game against you know a champions league team in valencia um that's just unreal being 16 and being able to do that and he looking like he's gonna um completely spurn his birth country and say screw you to the diaspora the diaspora of africa and uh (laughs) and 
play for colonizers. That's tough. Yeah. Wow. Really? That's, that's what you want? All right. Yeah. All right. That's, yeah. that's, that's harsh, but I see what you're going for. Uh, no, but uh, he does seem like he'll have a good future. We'll, we'll see. We'll keep a good eye on him. He's, he should. I mean, these performances should mean that he plays a fair amount, but who knows? When, once everyone's fully back and healthy, you know, you hope he doesn't get just relegated back to the U-17s and then we don't see him again for the rest of the season. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm really hoping, and it sounds like based on what Valverde has been saying and how much he's been playing him, that that won't actually happen. But he has a, he's had a lot of great years ahead of him, and I'm excited to see him play. Um, but, you know, this weekend or this week at Dortmund is going to be very, very difficult. And so uh, let's um, let's see what happens. I'm a little nervous for this game, but Messi is coming back. Messi might play. I don't think he'll start. I, I know that he is back to full – quote-unquote full match fitness um, in terms of healing his calf injury, uh, which was a weird injury, even though Barcelona said he'd be out for a couple weeks. He pretty much was out for over a month. Um, And so he's back. I'm very excited to see him play. All is right in the world when Messi's back. So um, we talked about during the Champions League preview, Messi playing at Dortmund is going to be a sight to see. There are going to be some good pictures out of that game. Oh, absolutely. Um, So. Yeah, I can't Especially wait. Both but, teams coming off of huge wins, off of uh, pretty convincing wins. Um, Dortmund coming off a four 0 against Leverkusen, and obviously Barcelona coming off five two. So they'll they'll be coming in with a lot of confidence. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So excited for that game. But with that, well, let's wrap up the La Liga review from this past weekend. And right after the break, Real's going to go on a rant. Just wait. We are back from our break, and uh, like I said, the last uh, couple breaks, Riyadh's going to go on a rant. And so while we were on our break, we uh, we decided on a, a, a soft time limit for Riyadh's rant. It's going to be three minutes. I'm going to give him all the time he needs to talk about the U.S. men's national team and all of their woes, starting right now. Go. All right, so I may not need the whole three minutes, but it's it's a just-in-case kind of thing. I might tire myself out, honestly. So let me just set the stage for you. It's a wonderful Friday night, September 6th, and we come up to a yearly-slash-biannually tradition of the U.S. playing Mexico, which is always the most exciting game for the U.S. It's their most hated rival, and, you know, uh, for the most part, Mexico has dominated this series all time, but since 2000, they've been pretty close in terms of um, actual record, right? And things have been much better, especially in the last, well, save this year, uh, actually, save the last three years. Um, either way, I came into this game pretty... Somewhat confident, even though the U.S. was missing a lot of players just from um, injuries, but Mexico was also missing players, too. So I was, no matter what, very excited for another U.S.-Mexico game. And then one hour before the game starts, the starting lineup is out. (laughs) And that is when I opened my first drink for the night. (laughs) I saw Giassi Zardes 
and Will Trap in the lineup once again. Once again, in a massive game for the U.S., even though this is just a friendly, it's still the most important game for the United States. We see Giassi's artist, a man who, uh, quoting a comment on uh, the U.S. soccer Reddit subreddit, he is so good at everything except actually playing the ball with his feet, which just about <laughs> sums up how this night ended up going. Jesse's artist shows a lot of effort, uh, shows a lot of determination, but can't actually control the ball or dribble with it. So every time he picked it up, he uh, had a horrible touch or actually never even really got close to getting a good shot off. And then <laughs> you look to the bench and there's a 18 year old ginger child, from St. Louis, Missouri, who literally a week before this game just scored his first goal in his first start for a team in the Bundesliga. Um, no, I'm not talking about a team in the MLS. I'm not talking about, uh, uh, yeah, I guess MLS would really be just the worst thing, worst possible scenario. But I'm not talking about someone from some kind of farmer's league. Dude, he's playing in the Bundesliga. He started, he scored in his first game and is legitimately one of the best young players that the U.S. has, Josh Sargent. He doesn't get this start, but Zardis does. So, okay, um, horrible decision. And then you look into the midfield, you have Will Trapp, who, um, looking from, you followed me on Twitter at all, one of my f- f- halftime thoughts was, um, Will Trapp played maybe two passes forward in that first half. Uh, he is the most defensive-minded. Actually, I don't even want to say defensive-minded. Defensive-minded would be, actually be giving him too much credit. Defensive-minded, <laughs> he might still he might actually play passes forward. He's actually not even that great as a holding midfielder in terms of actually stopping what happened, as you saw from three fucking goals. Um, he played two passes forward the entire game. He plays it sideways and backwards. It's Actually, somewhat impressive the amount um, that he tries not to play a ball into Zardes or play a ball into Pulisic or Tyler Boyd on the wings for the U.S. And when you think about it, how could these two guys, who are so obviously below the level of even the, the players who are on the bench for the U.S. and on the bench for the U.S., you know, you had guys. Um, like even well, Paxton Pomacal, I would always want him to start because you know he was fantastic at the Under Twenty World Cup, and it sh- he's just a better player. But even uh, Jackson Uel, who played in the Uruguay game and actually looked fairly good, and he plays the same position and is actually just tried to play balls forward and didn't suck like Will Trap. Um, you wonder why guys like Zardes and Trap play for him, and then you look at their uh, history in terms of clubs that they've played at, and. You see, there's a bit of an overlap for a couple years with the manager <laughs> of the overlap. United States. Oh, okay, good one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit of an overlap. These two guys played under Greg Berhalter, who is the current U.S. coach, for two years on the Columbus crew. And it seems like they might be getting a slight pass. And then you wonder, why would he be playing guys who are not good? 
Oh, because they actually played under him and he has a lot of confidence in them and no one's going to tell him not to play them, I guess. And it really is where my biggest concern is at the end of this international break is that the manager apparently is so completely uh was was the word uh, uh inflexible not flexible at all uh in terms of his thoughts on players i'm going to hopefully something changes by the next international break but it didn't change in the gold cup these two guys started against mexico in that game that we lost one nothing and looked pretty shitty after the first half hour and same thing happened in this so the big concern is i'm not sure the manager is good and uh, a bigger concern is that guys in the MLS are getting played still too much. We had two, you know, granted the center backs are actually, they weren't too bad. Yes, they did give up three goals. But the real problem was the fact that we tried to play like Manchester City uh, when our players were basically like Watford level. So, <laughs> don't insult you know, like that. Alexi, Alexi Lawless, yeah, that's true. Alexi Lawless made a great point, and he makes very few of them, so it was quite surprising. <laughs> he, he said that Greg Berhalter was trying to paint the Sistine Chapel using crayons, and that was just about the most apt description of what that game was. Mexico dared the U.S. to play out of the back, and... It worked really well for Mexico. Yeah. Um, I've gone way over the three minutes. And oh, I, I you've like seven minutes. I don't know what I, I don't know what to say, man. I, I, we said this in our summer preview when we ended up when we talked about the Gold Cup and the US going forward in general. I said I really don't think we should look to – we shouldn't be looking to try to get necessarily our best players um, or guys who fit the system the best for 2022. We should not be looking to try to actually achieve much more than maybe making it out of the group in 2022. We should be looking – forward we should be looking forward to 2026 we should be looking in the long term which means we should be playing our young players as much as we can i don't need someone who's 26 and has never sniffed playing outside of the mls to be starting in every game it's actually ridiculous (laughs) that makes zero sense okay that shouldn't be happening anymore that's the problem a year from now, we'll have the Olympics, where you get to send, where the Olympics is just the under-23 team, and then you get three players who are uh, over 20, you can get three players who are over 23 to bring. That should actually be a tournament that the U.S. has a decent chance of meddling in, right? Or at least a decent chance of maybe making to like the quarterfinals of that. This is the best in terms of under 23 players, this is the most talented pool of players that the United States has ever had. They have more players under 23 playing in Europe than ever before. They should be getting called up to the senior team a lot. They should be playing with each other a lot. And next summer is going to be the time next uh august will be the time during the olympics where you get to see all of the a lot of them play together and 
if they don't have a chance to at least start playing together, let's say like next spring when, you know, there's not, there's, there's no world cup qualifiers yet. So it's all friendlies. Why, why are we trying to blood in these guys who are like 25 and like, and haven't played and haven't played outside the MLS or their entire career. Like it's, absurd to me it's just absurd that they're not trying to embrace the fact that all that actually their best players in two years are all playing in europe right now and they should be playing together as much as possible to build an actual cohesion it's it's tiring dude it's just tiring it's all right i'm done i'm done i'm done (laughs) i was just i mean i didn't want to interrupt you i know you had a lot to get off your chest um normally you know i'd ask you want to talk about it but uh this this is more you talking than uh, that was gibberish about. That, that, yeah a lot that of was, that rant didn't even make sense i wasn't there was no coherence to that rant for the most no. part but <laughs> but I, your, general, anyway. your general tone your general tone did make sense and i i agree with what you're saying i understand your frustration as a u.s men's national team fan obviously i i'm more discouraged than anything um we talk about progress and we talk about years ago when Jurgen Klinsmann was let go and how we're going to bring in a new wave of youth products to establish some sort of solidity and and a foundation to the national team. But, uh, you know, I might not have the super strong thoughts that you do, but here we are in the same boat as several years ago. I think that's the scary part is that there hasn't been, general progress over the last five to seven years and even with the talent pool we have you can win games and you can squeak out wins here and there but in terms of winning medals or trophies we're not there yet we we're just not there you're right you're right but and also i mean you can lose to mexico in this game that's i'm not upset about the loss but the Injuries aside, do you, you're not three nil worse than Mexico. Mexico has a great Mexico. Out also is at a time of a lot of um, a lot of youth uh, talent, right? You know they have Chucky Lozano, they have Hector Herrera playing for Atletico Madrid. They have uh, Javier Hernandez, who's not youth, but you know he's playing um, for Sevilla, right? They have players who are playing in Europe too. They they're going through a good time of um, of talent. But we're not three more worse than them. We shouldn't be. You shouldn't be ever. And the U.S. waited a year to get this coach. They waited a year for Greg Berhalter's contract to run out with the Columbus Crew. So if you do that, you better be getting it right. <laughs> you didn't make the World Cup uh, two two years ago. You can't. You can't fuck this up, man. You you can't. <laughs> fuck this up again all right and the only reason that this team will not achieve some sort of major success for the country like for the u.s standards major success not necessarily not saying like winning a medal next summer um i mean that would be phenomenal success for the team but but that's a lot to hope for but the next seven years from now through to the 2026 world cup if this team doesn't show some sort of progress on an international level in terms of competitions, then it's not going to have anything to do with the players. 
unless there's major, maybe unless there's major injuries, barring major injuries, it's going to have nothing to do with the talent pool. It's going to come down to the manager and the U.S. Soccer Federation in the way that they do deal with either the manager, the way that they deal with business. The, the fact that we were playing on a baseball field against Uruguay for the next game, the fact that we're still doing that is is embarrassing. It's embarrassing to the Federation. It's embarrassing to to the guys who play in Europe on the U.S. and come and they're playing on a field where the where there's like an eight inch divot every every time they're going across it. It's 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 so frustrating. It's absolutely unacceptable. It's unacceptable. From uh, we have enough infrastructure now. You have enough cities. You're giving you're giving an MLS. Um, team to just about any city right now you know like you have stadiums why are we still playing in places that will never actually be able to have enough people in it or literally aren't meant for this sport it's it's absolutely disgusting and it's just it's just the greed of the u.s soccer federation is disgusting so you uh you still want to talk about it, or you want to you want to say anything more before uh, before I got to close out? No, I'll end with this. I'm going to end on a positive note. Like I said, they were missing a lot of players due to injury. They're missing DeAndre Yedlin. They're missing Timmy Weah. They're missing Tyler Adams. John Brooks was injured again, so he couldn't play during the international break. They're going to have a lot of these players back, and you'll hopefully get to see these guys play together um during the next international break you have the Concacaf nations league starting up so those will be some easy games to gain some some confidence as a team and gain some cohesiveness as like a starting 11 or a squad in general and just to figure this shit out so positive going forward is hopefully people stay healthy for, for um leading into the next international break and we can actually See the talented young players play together. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I wish them the best of luck, of course. They won't be in action for a little bit, but they will be back before we know it. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Go ahead and watch the Champions League this, this week as well as the Europa League later in the week. Enjoy it. European football is back, and we'll be back next week with another pod. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.